But we're pumped you're here, man. This is this is crazy. There's a lot of you out there. And uh, if you're a guest, uh, my name's Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor at Mosaic. And we're just we're pumped that you're here, and we're excited to finally be in our new space, uh, Southeast. It looks like we're gonna need to go to two services soon, and that's something we uh, we were praying for. You know, just God keeps doing it, keep opening up seats, and uh, we've been praying that God would make us uncomfortable sooner than later. And here we are. So uh, know that that's coming soon, but we're pumped that you're here. So we're in a new space, new location, and uh, this morning we start a, a new series. A new series called Prepare for Impact. And, uh, you know, I, I've never met a single person in my relatively short life uh, that wanted to live a life void of impact. You know, I've never, I've never sat down with anybody who would tell you, you know, at the end of my life I want a relatively small funeral, you know, where people have to lie to say good things about me. You've ever been to those funerals? They're sad, but they happen all the time. I want people to stay about me. You know, he, he had some goals. He, he, he accomplished some things. He did relatively well for himself, but he was pretty self-absorbed. Uh, had horrible relationships with the people in his life. You know, kids could tolerate him. His wife never left him. I guess that's good. All right, but, but he really had little impact on the people in his life. Right? I think most of us, if we could sit down and have coffee together, would say, you know, if I'm really honest... Uh, I want my life to matter. You know, I want at the end of my life, I want it to be packed in my, at my funeral. You know, I, I want people to, to talk about, you know, my, my life was better because this person walked the earth for a little while. Right? My, my experience on this earth was, was somehow richer. It was fuller. It was more beautiful because my life intersected with this other person. I think all of us, if we're really honest, we want to be a person who has an impact. And, and one of the cool things about this is it's actually, it's a part of your identity whether you realize it or not. Um, it's a God-honoring thing to want to make an impact. And sometimes it gets jacked up by our ego, you know? Sometimes it gets jacked up by our pride. But it's a good thing to want your life to matter. It's a big part of, of following Jesus. Uh, did he come in, when he came in, did he have find one of these on your chair? Some salt? I don't know about you, whether you're a sweets person or a salt, per salt person. I'm a sweets person. My wife is a salt person. Uh, growing up, my dad was what you might call a saltaholic. Because um, he put this stuff on everything. Everything. I mean, he put it on his fruit, watermelons, strawberries, kiwi. He put it on his beans and bean salad and tossed salad and coleslaw and everything. I remember he would put it in ketchup uh, no matter what he was eating. So he would be eating salted french fries, and he would stop to put salt in his ketchup. Then he would take the salted french fry you know, swirl up the ketchup and then dip the salted french fry in the ketchup and eat it. All right? He, he put salt in everything. We give him a hard time. We'd always tell him, you know, Dad, someday when you kick the bucket, your corpse is going to be one finely preserved corpse, man. It, it's going to last forever <laughs> because he put salt in everything. Uh, if you're a guest with us, just so you know, we don't do this every week. You know, it's not like a condiment a week. You know, all right, salt today. Um, it's not to spice up communion or anything like this. Uh, it's, it's, it's uh, a visual, it's an illustration, and, and it's to help us engage with it and really wrap our minds w around something that Jesus said uh, in one of his most famous sermons. Something he said about you and I, for those of us who are Christ followers. And this is what he says in Matthew 5.13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. If that doesn't strike you as profound, 
welcome to the club. Right? And if that strikes you in a weird way, like I don't even know, really know what that means, uh, I think that's normal. Because it, salt for us is it's different, right? What is he saying here? Right? You, are, you are the world's most versatile condiment. Right? Nobody would be able to enjoy corn on the cob if it wasn't for you. Right? What is this? It's weird, right? Because corn for, or, corn, salt for us, uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And does anyone know what the number one use of salt is in the United States, the salt that's produced here? What's that? It's a good guess, but no. Roads. Roads. 51%. 51% of salt that's produced in the United States is used to de-ice roads. That wasn't the case in Jesus' day. All right? Roads were different. Travel was a little bit different. Uh, I was actually surprised to find out that only 8% of salt produced in the U.S. is used on food. Interesting fact. I think 3% of that is consumed by my dad. Um, but the truth is, this visual of salt, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us, because salt is different for us than it was then. Right? Because for us, salt is very commonplace. Right? When we talk about salt, uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot. It's not a profound truth. We talk about sweets. We talk about salty stuff. Salt is very commonplace and it's accessible just about everywhere in the world. It means something very, very different. But you have to understand, in Jesus' day, it was, it was something completely different. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, it meant something very different to him and to his audience. You see, uh, back in Jesus' day, as you can about imagine, you couldn't go to Best Buy and buy a stainless steel refrigerator or a deep freeze. Right, to pack your food into and, and access whenever you wanted it. In fact, your ability to eat um, was completely contingent on your accessibility to fresh produce and fresh food. Right, so you had to have access, and this wasn't just a seasonal thing. I mean, year-round, you had to have access to fresh produce. Right, you had to have access to meat uh, because things couldn't keep. You didn't have a deep freeze. You didn't have a refrigerator. Right, and so the moment that say a drought hit, right, or a famine, or a food shortage hit. Uh, you're in immediate crisis, you and your family. Right? But then somewhere along the way, uh, people discovered that, that salt has this, this ability to preserve, right? to, to keep things. And so when there was drought, and there was drought, right? and when there was famine, and there was shortage of food, salt literally could mean the difference between life and death for your family. They discovered that salt was a purifying agent. Right? And so if you've ever been have an open wound and you go swimming in the ocean... Right, for a couple days, you ever notice how quickly that thing heals up? Right, it's because it cleans out the bacteria. Right, there's something about salt that, that heals. Actually, most of the ancient cities uh, in Italy, including Rome, were built uh, around salt works. And this wasn't just true in Italy. This was actually true across Europe, including Salzburg, Austria, which literally means city of salt. Where salt was not readily available, they actually built roads specifically for salt called salt routes, to export it out and import it where it wasn't. The Romans would actually pay their soldiers with salt. So be aware that the Latin word for salt is sal, and it's literally, it's where we get the word salary. Because the Romans would pay with salt, uh, a number of employees, including soldiers, uh, and Greek slave traders would actually barter with salt to trade for human lives, to, to trade for slaves. And this is actually where we get the, the saying, he or she is worth their salt. Right, this is where that comes from. Uh, there's actually a book called Salt, A World History. And, believe it or not, it actually made the New York Times bestseller. But Mark Kolansky, in the book, he actually writes that in the ancient world, salt was one of the most common factors 
uh, that provoked and financed wars. Right? So, so countries and peoples would literally go to war with one another over salt. It was that valuable of a commodity. Right? This is why we say that when one country attacks another country, that country has been assaulted. No, that's not true. I mean, that's not true. Totally made up. <laughs> but in all seriousness, are you starting to get a feel for this? All right? When Jesus says that you are the salt of the world, he's saying something that meant something profound to his audience. Right? It was, it was a valuable commodity that could mean life or death for a family. Plato said that salt was dear to the gods. Homer said that it was a divine substance. Right? It, was, it was a precious commodity. I mean, it was, it, was, it was currency. Nations went to war over it. Empires were built around it. And then Jesus does this crazy thing. He turns to this group of ragamuffins and misfits, ordinary men and women, many of them uneducated, blue-collar people, and he says, God's plan for preserving this earth, for drawing out the, the flavor of it, if you will, for, for, for bringing life to healing it, is you. You. You and I. You are the salt of the earth. All right? it, it's a profound truth. All right? But there's, there's definitely some sobering implications to, to what he's saying here. All right? For example, uh, salt uh, doesn't exist for its own sake. All right? So I'm going to venture to guess, have you ever gone over to somebody's house and you, and you shared a meal Right, and they cooked for you, and you were just blown away. And you said, oh, I've got to say something. Like, I'm compelled to say something. I, I, I've eaten a lot of good food in my day, but this might be the best salt that I've ever had. I've got to know, what, what brand do you use? Where can I get my hands on this salt? Right, never. <laughs> never say that. Right? As often as it's used, salt does not draw attention to itself. Right? Nobody says after a long day, can't wait to go home turn on some Netflix, and just lose myself in a bowl of salt. That's what I need. All right, now the truth is, salt really isn't that good on its own. All right, salt is at its best right, when it enhances something bigger than itself. All right, it's, it's calling, if you will, is to lose itself in something more glorious than itself. And when it does, when it does, it affects everything. And Jesus says, you are salt. You and I my people, my sons, my daughters, those who would follow in my footsteps. You are the salt of the earth. But to stretch this analogy just a little bit further, right? it, it requires something of us. Right? In order for salt to have uh, an impact at all, uh, it can't stay in here, can it? Right? It forces the salt to, to get out of the packet and to do what it's created to do. And boy, when you do, when you do, a man becomes not just a man, he becomes a man of impact. Right? And a woman becomes not just a woman. Uh, she becomes a woman of impact. And one man or woman of impact can change the world. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. One of my favorite authors is uh, a guy by the name of Philip Yancey. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, Rumors of Another World. And in it, uh, he writes about a guy named Ernest Gordon. And he was a British Army officer in World War II who was captured by the Japanese. And he's put in this labor camp. And uh, as part of his camp, he's forced, uh, along with many other men, to build a railroad uh, through Thailand. And actually, if you've ever seen the film The Bridge Over the River Kwai, uh, it's the setting of that film is, is the setting in which this story takes place. And these prisoners were, were just working, they were forced to work in unbearable conditions. It was 120 degree heat, 
Um, their bodies, uh, they were stung by insects, ravaged by disease. Their feet were bare. Many of them did not have shoes or cut by rocks. And if a prisoner, I mean, it was just pure brutality. So if a prisoner was not working hard enough, they were slacking or just getting weak, oftentimes the soldiers would literally just beat this man on the ground, uh, oftentimes within an inch of his life, or they'd decapitate him in front of all the prisoners. Uh, it was just brutal. Um, if they didn't do that, oftentimes what ended up happening is they would just work them until they were too sick to go on, and they would put the prisoners into uh, what was called the death house, which was just really a shed. And they'd lay them down in there until they'd, they'd, they died. And that's what it was. It was called the death house. Uh, it was so brutal that 80,000 men died trying to build this railroad, which comes out to be almost 400 corpses per square mile. Absolutely brutal conditions. The prisoners who did manage to survive, many of them, they had to live like animals. It was a dog-eat-dog, every-man-for-himself, uh, survival-the-fittest type thing. Dante would have been proud. Um, it was brutal. And oftentimes, what was commonplace is the strong would beat the weak for even just a few grains of rice. It happened every single day. It was a culture of hate. Uh, it was a culture of death and despair. Until one day, one man of impact acted. I worked detail. I just finished working on a particular section of the railroad, and they did the inventory and came to find out that a shovel was missing. And the officers went nuts, and they began to scream at this group of workers and said, who took this shovel? If you don't tell us, we're going to kill every single person in your, in your group. And nobody said a thing. And so as the officer raised his gun to begin shooting and killing them systematically one by one, uh, one of the men stepped forward. He said, I took it. It was me. The guards began to, to beat him as he stood at attention until one man crashed the butt of his gun into his skull. The man fell on the ground dead and they proceeded to beat the corpse. Later that night, as the men were doing inventory again, come to find out that they had all the tools. No shovel was missing. No one had stolen anything. And that night, in the darkness... As they lay there, one of the prisoners remembered something that Jesus had said a long time ago. In John 15, 13, it says this, Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And something began to happen in that camp. The prisoners began treating one another with respect. They began treating the dying with respect. They began actually holding funerals for workers who died. They began marking graves with a cross. And the people who were strong began to give their food to those who were weak. Ernest Gordon himself had been paralyzed by a fever and had been put in the death house to die. He had written his last letter to his family. And then something crazy happened. Some men actually came in and they took him out. They gave him some of their food. They began to nurse his wounds. They began to m massage his muscles to work his legs uh, back to strength. He hadn't thought about God in a long time, but he began thinking about God once more. And that group, they formed a little church within this work community. They formed a church, and actually Ernest Gordon became their unofficial pastor. They went on to plant a garden. They actually began to raise medicinal plants so they could, they could treat the wounded and the sick. This is crazy. They actually formed a jungle university within this community. They started teaching courses in history and philosophy and science in nine languages. 
including Latin, Greek, Russian, and Sanskrit. They created, within this culture of death, this culture of despair, an alternative culture, one marked by hope, one marked by love, one marked by service to one another. And Jesus had a name for this culture. He called it the kingdom of God. Right? And it crops up in the most unlikely of places, to the, own, the most unlikely of people. Right? Those working in this camp became so transformed by what was happening in this alternate culture that when the liberating armies came and all of those prisoners who had been forced to work on the railroad were freed, rather than take revenge on those, those guards, they actually showed them mercy and kindness and respect and forgiveness. And Gordon's own life uh, would never be the same. He actually went on to become a pastor, which was the last thing in the world he thought he would be, which I can relate to. But all of this started through one person, one man of impact, and he began to spread. I never underestimate what God can do through a single person who embraces who they are. One man or woman of impact can change the world. You are the salt of the earth. And this is just what salt does. And when it happens, it, 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 it realizes, salt, those, the, the salt of the earth realizes they don't exist for themselves. Right? Others uh, become more important than them. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple individuals from the Mosaic community were driving through Lincoln, and uh, they saw a car broken down on the side of the road, and, and a young gal was sitting on the curb next to it. Didn't look like she was having a very good day. Stopped by to see if there was anything they could do to help. Come to find out, she had just moved there, I think like the day before. She had just moved to Lincoln uh, from out of state. She knew one person in town. Right? And she was stranded by the side of the road, and they, they stepped in to see if there was anything they could do to help. Began talking to this gal. Actually ended up driving her all around town all day, helping her find out or find the, the parts, the car parts that they needed. And began connecting her to other people in this community. And uh, I think it was just a few days later she got connected in a life group. They invited her in Mosaic, and she's been here ever since. Right? One person right, who gets connected in community, who has now a group of people who love her, who care for her. Right? Just because two individuals decided, we're going to get salty. Right? Because we're the salt of the earth. Right? And that's, that's what happened. Right? And it's interesting. You know, Jesus doesn't say this to describe those who would follow in his footsteps. He, he's making an observation. Right, this is this is not something you just do. This is actually a part of your identity, saying this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. And when that happens, things start to change. Right, not just through us, but but in us as well. Right, our our desires begin to to change a little bit. Right, not the not the fleshly. This is what I want in the moment desires, but those things that just keep coming back. Right, when you slow down enough to listen. Right, the ones that don't go away when the lights are off late at night. Right, what you care about begins to change. And what ends up happening is God will call you as the salt of the earth in the places you probably never would have expected to do things that you thought maybe you would never would have done. Right, to go to places maybe you've never been or want to go. In fact, late Wednesday night, a couple of our good friends, uh, Bill and Nicole, pulled into town from L.A. And uh, some of you probably remember Bill. He actually spoke here uh, in February um, when we were still at the Alb and talked about their adoption of little Manny and that whole journey. And uh, they've been praying for the last several months about uh, possibly coming to Lincoln to be a part of this community uh, from L.A. And so they pulled in Wednesday night. They left their jobs. Uh, they had great jobs. Nicole uh, worked for an adoption agency. Bill was a film producer. And they left it 
to come to the cultural epicenter that is Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> all right, so it's about to get a whole lot saltier here, y'all. All right, so just get ready. But as you can about imagine, right, moving from LA to Lincoln, Nebraska, all their friends are like, "What are you doing? All right, what do you do, uh, Bill? You know, well, I'm a film producer. And where are you moving to? <laughs> Lincoln, Nebraska. Did you get a huge promotion or something? Nope. No jobs. Not sure what we're gonna do yet to pay the bills. So why are you moving? <laughs> why are you moving? And I think they would tell you, because we are followers of Jesus. And we understand we, that we are the salt of the earth, and we've seen the city, and our heart is there, and we feel that God is calling us to be salty in the city of Lincoln. Right? God will call you to places you thought you'd never thought you'd go. Because you are a divine change agent. Right? It's, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's who you are. It's what you've been called to. He'll call you to places. He'll call you to roles. He'll call you to engage in relationships that are completely off your radar. But not for you. For those people. He'll call you to engage where perhaps up until now you've sat on the sidelines, kind of spectating, kind of checking this thing out. He'll call you to get in the game. Right? And, and you know, I, I wonder for some of us, if Jesus isn't saying to you today, you know, you, you don't, you don't understand, right? You wonder why you, you feel stuck spiritually, why progress and growth seems to just come so hard, why it feels like you just can't break through. Well, it's because you still, you don't understand who you are. It's not about you. You still maybe think and act like this faith, right? This church, this life is about you, but it's not. Because you're the salt of the earth. He called you to get out. See, Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, but then he actually follows it up with something that uh, is a little disconcerting. So that's like the feel-good part of the verse, right? And, and it is a feel-good part of the verse. It's the kind of thing like we just we throw up on coffee mugs and grandma embroiders on our pillow. And if you're homeschooled, maybe mom sewed it on your sweater. I don't know. Like it's Christian Hallmark material. You are the salt of the earth. But then Jesus says this. But... If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Oh, come on, Jesus. It felt so good up until then. Why do you have to add that? Right? That's not embroidery material. You know, I don't gather my kids up at night and say, kids, guess what? Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. But if you lose your saltiness, you're only going to be thrown out and trampled by men. Good night, love you, we'll see you in the morning. Uh, we don't do that, right? right? This is the kind of thing that makes people uncomfortable, that, that prompts them to come up to a pastor after church and say, okay, give me some insight into the Greek here, there's got to be some hidden meaning, you know. Please tell me it doesn't say what it seems to be saying. Right? Sometimes I wonder, honestly, I wonder what Jesus would say to just our, our culture of tolerance, Right? And if we have a core value as a culture, uh, it's tolerance. Isn't it? I mean, can I just say that? Uh, it is. It, but here's the thing, okay? And I, I might ruffle some feathers here, and that's okay. When I look at Jesus' life, I don't see a lot of tolerance. I don't. And if you don't believe me, I'd encourage you to go home and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Right? We talk about Jesus' life and ministry and see if you see tolerance. I don't see that. Right now, what I do see is I see a lot of mercy. I see a lot of compassion. I see a lot of self-sacrificial love, especially on behalf of the poor, on behalf of those who are hurting, the broken, the irreligious. I see a lot of that. 
but, but I don't see a lot of tolerance. I also see a lot of, at times, I see a lot of anger. I see a lot of rage. And it's usually, it's usually aimed at, at us. At, at religious people, church people, who go on living oblivious to the needs all around them. Right? Who, who, who are surrounded by people that are hurting. Whose marriages are falling apart. Who are struggling to pay bills. Who are sick and alone. Right? And just, broken. And yet the religious just kind of keep going through the motions. And they refuse to, to acknowledge that maybe they got some things to learn. Right? Maybe this whole religious rigmarole and just packing in the knowledge up here and memorizing the Bible is not what it's all about. Right? And Jesus goes after them. And so I don't, I don't see a lot of tolerance. I see something far more beautiful and far more demanding of those of us who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I see him saying, look, you're the salt of the earth. And there's a whole lot of hurt all around you. And I've sent you there on purpose because you're the salt of the earth. And if you'll let me, I'll use you to do something extraordinary. I've given you unique talents and gifts and time and passions. I've placed you where you are in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. You are surrounded by hurt. And to say no... Right? And to live a selfish life. Well, I won't tolerate that. Right? I'm going to move and use those who are willing to be salt where salt is needed. Right? And I wonder if maybe you're here this morning and you just need to come clean on that and say, it's me. I've been going through the motions. I've been living a pretty selfish life. Right? I've been ignoring maybe the people that God has maybe placed around me. And I don't want to live that way anymore. And if that's if that's you, just you know, that's that's an awfully great start. Right? That's just you know, that's that's what repentance actually is. All right? But here's here's the good news, right? Is that if you still got breath in your lungs, you still got a lot of life to live. Right? And you are the salt of the earth. And when someone in God's community decides to get salty, all right, it becomes contagious. And God starts to move. And strange things start to happen. And lives get changed. Right, one of my favorite stories from this community, and if you've been around for a while, you've heard it before, but one of my favorite stories from this community is, is Elliot's story. And, and if you know Elliot, man, we love Don't we love Elliot? I love Elliot. And, uh, you know, Elliot, when he, he... I give this message, I don't know, last year, last spring, I think it was, from some guy named Elliot. And he says, hey, I got your name from some people that we know mutually. And um, I hear you're the pastor who hangs out with atheists. I'm an atheist. Uh, can we get coffee? I said, uh, sure. Yeah, let's get coffee. So we got coffee. And come to find out, Elliot, Elliot shares with me, you know, at the front end, he's like, look, I'm not buying what you're selling. I'm not smoking it. I don't believe any of it. Uh, I'm an atheist, right? So I don't believe in God or any imaginary thing in the sky. But he said... I'm just realizing a couple things. First of all, I'm realizing some of the, some of my really good atheist friends are some of the most miserable people I know. Um, not all of them, but some of them just are. And I, I, I don't want that. But he said, what's really messing me up though is I've got a couple people in my life who are Christians. And it's really annoying, but they're a couple of the most wonderful people I've ever known. And he said, I still don't believe any of it, 
but I don't know. If there's more people like that in the community you're a part of, can I come hang out for a while? You know? And so I shared with him about Mosaic, you know, and just shared, you know what, man? You don't ever have to believe in God. And we don't ever have to agree on really anything, you know, when it comes to spiritual things, but you'll be welcome at Mosaic. And uh, you'll be loved there. Because uh, there's some really cool people that are there. And so he came. And he started actually helping up on setup crew. Uh, just to hang out and get to know people. And he kept on coming back, kept on coming back. And he kept being around salty Christians. And it just wore him out. And so on one just awesome afternoon down at the coffee house downtown, I had the opportunity to lead Elliot uh, as he committed his life to Jesus, uh, bawling his eyes out in the coffee house. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. But it's so cool, because you know what? Uh, Elliot, we never had to teach Elliot that Christians are supposed to be salty, that they're supposed to make a difference, that they're supposed to love well, because he saw it. He experienced it. And ever since, he's been serving and loving on people through this community ever since. On Sunday mornings, where Elliot typically is, is teaching my daughters about Jesus down at Mosaic Kids. Right, it's unbelievable. It's unreal. Right, just last, uh, two weeks ago, I sitting in my office, and Elliot and his mom walk in, and through tears, right, his mom says, he gave me my son back. And he's crying, and she's crying, and they're hugging each other, and I'm crying. Right, and then she, she sits down and she writes a check, and she says, you gave me my son back, use this to go get more people. And now, this month, Elliot will be starting in the first class of our protege program, which is a one-year leadership development program because he's praying about going into full-time ministry and maybe church planning. And by the way, all of this because a couple people decided to get salty and to love well. And God intersected his path with a couple salty Christians' path. And when that happens, things happen. Lives get changed. God does what only God can do. You are the salt of the earth. I don't feel qualified. I don't know enough of the Bible. It doesn't matter. You're the salt of the earth. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Can you imagine with me just for a second what would happen if 300-some people decided, you know what? I'm going to be the salt of the earth. I'm going to get salty. I'm going to love where I can love. I'm going to serve where I can serve. I'm going to ask God to help me see the needs around me and I don't know how I'm going to meet them, but I'm just going to love well. Can you, can you just imagine what God could do through 300 people who decide to get salty? I can't. But I want to see. I want to see it. And I'm praying for it. So here's what, here's what I want to challenge you to do, alright, this week. I don't know where my salt went. But I want you to take your little packet of salt. And I want you to put it somewhere where you can see it. Somewhere visible. Right, And I want you to, when you're ready, I, w I want you to stir on it, first of all. To think about it. Every time you see that salt, remember, you are the salt of the earth. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. And then I want you, when you're ready, alright, when you're ready, if you're ready, alright, to, to get to a point you say, alright, alright God, pour me out. And I want you to just pour that salt out. Alright, whatever it is. Alright, if you're a French fries person, pour it on your French fries. Enjoy those French fries. If you're an Eggs Benedict person, well, pour it on the Eggs Benedict. 
you have to report on the ground. Right? But just visually, physically, to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Pour me out. Use me as you will. Help me to be salt where you have placed me. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray for those in this room who are followers of you. Those who maybe don't feel qualified enough, smart enough, strong enough, a whole lot of things enough. And Lord, I ask that this morning you would just seal this truth in their heart. It doesn't matter. That you like to use the weak things instead of the strong. And that they have been called to be the salt of the earth. Lord, I pray that you would bring each one of us to a place where we'd be able to say, all right, Lord, I want to be salt. I want to be salty. Help me be salty where you've called me. In my family, in my workplace, in the classroom, in my neighborhood. And Lord, help me to see what that looks like moving forward. Lord, I pray for those in this city who need some salt in their life. People who are hurting. People who are broken. People who feel lost and are at the end of their rope, Lord. And I ask that you would do what only you can do and intersect our lives with them. Lord, I pray for those in this city that are fine. And fine just isn't doing it anymore. Right? There's just this nagging dissatisfaction with life. They've got the job, the family, the car, some toys. And somehow, for some reason, it's just not enough. And Lord, I ask that you would bring some salty Christians into their life. With every head bowed this morning, you know, one of the hard parts about church is that it's so easy to come in and sit in a place like this and walk out, sing some songs, listen to a guy like me drone on for 30, 40 minutes, and never respond And so this morning, I don't want you to walk out of here without a chance to respond. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus and you would say, you know what? Maybe I haven't been living salty up until now. Maybe I have. But you know what? I I, I do. I want to be salt. I want to be used by God where He's placed me. I want to be His divine change agent, whatever that might look like. If that is you, this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to be salt. I want to be light. You just raise your hand and say, that is me. I want to be salt and light. Yeah. And Lord God, I pray for those in this room. Those who, this doesn't all make sense, but there's something that rings true. Those people in this room, that you know, they've been on a wild journey, ups and downs, successes and heartaches. And yet, here they they are, find themselves in a church of all places on Sunday morning. And there's something tugging on their heart saying, despite your bad experiences with Christians, despite maybe your bad experiences with church, there's something here. This is true. And Lord, I pray that you would draw those people to yourself. That you would reveal yourself to them. in this room and that's you, you just got to know you can be here for as long as you want to be you'll be loved here, you'll be valued here but we're praying that God does something extraordinary in your life something something that would surprise you and catch you off guard that you would come to know the grace and the love and the life that Jesus offers 
And if you are at that place where you feel that you're ready, you're as ready as you'll ever be, then you have to know it, it, it all starts with just surrendering your heart and saying, you know what, Lord? Oh, God, I want to be yours. I want to be saved. This isn't working. I need something more. And if you cross that line, we would love to know and we'll get you connected with other people. Help you begin to take your first steps. And lastly, as we pray for everybody in this room, those who are followers of Jesus, I want you to think in your mind of a person that God has maybe placed in your life who needs to know the love and the grace and the life that is in Jesus, and they don't yet. And I want you to bring their name to the forefront of your mind, that face, that name, that person. And just in your heart, pray for them, lift them up. Just say those names before God. Lord God, we give you those, those names and we, we rejoice in the fact that you love them way more than we could ever love them. That you want them to experience grace and life more than we could ever want them to experience those things. And Lord, we ask you to do what only you can do, which is to reach in to that brokenness, that hurting, to those questions, and show them who you are. Make those scales fall out their eyes. Make their heart come alive in you. May they know you. And may we get to be a part of the incredible process. Be the salty ones in their lives to help them to come to know the life and the grace that is in you. Lord God, this morning as a community, as Mosaic, we pray these things in your name.